You're listening to The Plug with Neil Griffith. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Plug Podcast, the very first episode of 2024. Hope you're doing well. Let's recap quickly. I hope you had a nice Christmas. I hope you had a nice New Year. I hope 2024 is going well for you. Thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of the year. I've got so many great interviews to share with you this year. We're kicking it off, though, with something massive that is happening in Australia in a matter of weeks. You should be very excited. In particular, pro wrestling fans are very excited because the WWE is coming to Australia. On Saturday, the 24th of February, the WWE heads to Perth, Optus Stadium, for Elimination Chamber. And to celebrate this momentous occasion, I am joined by two WWE superstars who came down to Sydney to promote the event. The first one being Sydney's own Grayson Waller. And the second, L.A. Knight. So I got to sit down one-on-one with both of these guys. So first you'll hear the chat with Grayson, and then you'll hear the chat with L.A. Knight. Let's get into it. The first episode of the Plug Podcast for 2024. Here is Grayson Waller and L.A. Knight on the Plug Podcast. All right, welcoming to the Plug Podcast, the one and only Mr. Grayson Waller. Welcome to the show. What a treat. You know, I came all the way to Australia for 48 hours. Why see my friends? Why see my family when I can come and spend time with you, right? This is exactly what I said. Welcome home, dude. Yeah, it's nice. You know, I had to go out to Penrith a few hours ago. So, like, (laughs) I'm really seeing the sight. So, we left. We were in Omaha, Nebraska on Friday in minus 25 degree weather. Almost got snowed in. Um, But this is kind of our schedule, you know. We we just fly constantly. We're always somewhere. We're always in a hotel living out of a suitcase. But I... I kind of love it, to be honest. Is there any downtime at all? Like, is there time for a Waller family barbecue? Oh, I got to see my mum yesterday, because if I didn't, she would lose her mind. She's really been pestering me, and uh, I got to go into PWA, which is the school that I trained at in Sydney, and got to go and see my old coaches and some of my peers, and then see some mates tonight. So I'm pretty much nonstop. Uh, I'm just like, I'll sleep on the plane home, basically. Well, dude, just to start, I got to say congratulations, because not only have you, you come up to six years since you made your pro wrestling debut, It'll be th- almost three years since you joined WWE, right? Uh, I think this year's three... It's almost three years since I moved. I moved in March 2021. I was supposed to move in 2020 at the start, but then obviously the pandemic. So it got pushed, 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 pushed. So it took till April 2021 until I finally got there. Okay, well, let's get the most cliche question out of the way early. Does it feel like it's been six years since you first laced up the boots? It's a yes and a no because I walked into PWA last night where I started and seeing everyone, it just feels like, oh, it was yesterday. But then when I'm over there and I look back and things like that, it does feel like a long time ago since I was, you know, performing at Rudy Hill RSL or Blacktown Markets or Dural Country Club or whatever random venues I was kind of doing back in the day. Um, But it's kind of cool coming back and like thinking about those times because like that – I said last night to them, they were asking me some questions and I think as much fun as I'm having now, I'm living the dream. I love this life. I feel like that was when I enjoyed wrestling the most. Now it's kind of a little bit of work, you know, all of this is work. And as much as I love it, like that was when I didn't have to stress about matches. I could hang out with the boys. It was all a little bit more fun. But now, you know, you go to a live TV show with 2.5 million people watching. It's a little bit of stress on your shoulder. So it's a little bit of a different vibe now. We mentioned right before we started recording, actually, we have a friend in common in... Sam Osborne. The bull. 
Yeah, and it's cool to see your journey because, you know, through Sam, I have seen a, a very close friend go through the indie circuit and grind and perform in these venues. Is it true, though, that the big breakout moment for you was was that there was a PWA event and there was some WWE scouts there and coincidentally, you got given some some mic time and you took full advantage. Yeah, so the the show that I, I got very lucky for when I got signed, the first time I got noticed in PWA is there was a show that called Call to Arms where it was like the big show of the year and I wasn't on it. So I went out to do some stuff in the intermission and they gave me the mic and said, you can talk. And I kind of went out, went off on my own and kind of did a promo that I probably shouldn't have done. But I felt a certain way at the time that I thought I deserved certain things and I should be in certain positions and I wasn't getting it. And I went out and took a risk and said some pretty wild stuff. And for me, that kind of opened their eyes. I took a very big risk. So that could have been like, hey, you're not coming back. Um, but then they kind of saw what I could do. And then when the scouts did come out, we had a, uh, a show called the Coliseum Tournament. It's the biggest show that we have each year. Uh, and the WWE scouts were there and I, got, I won the tournament, which is always a big thing. But then afterwards, I, I had the microphone and kind of just talk for 20 minutes to the audience talked about like the PWA roster talking about how much it meant to me and those type of things and and when I did get signed they told me later that that was kind of what got me signed not necessarily the in-ring action obviously I did well in the ring though I'm impressed with that I'm super athletic I look real good I'm handsome like but it was like they said the way I controlled the crowd and the way I I was so upfront and honest on the microphone is what really drew them to, to signing me I mean coming into WWE the rise was pretty fast you had an incredible NXT run. Is it fair to say, though, that as far as the mainstream WWE audience is concerned, you really got on the radar when you interrupted that Shawn Michaels presser in early 2023? I think so, definitely. Yeah. Um, obviously, the NXT and the main roster audience can be different. You know, the, the NXT audience is a little bit more diehard. You know, you kind of have to go out of your way to watch NXT anyway. Even though the ratings are good and a lot of people pay attention, it's like the diehards kind of watch that. Um, and, and anytime you can be involved with Shawn Michaels, especially because Shawn isn't really involved with television in the sense that he's not on camera very often. A little bit more now, every now and again, you'll see him doing like almost a general manager role. But when we did that uh, thing after Vengeance Day, I was upset. You know, I had a cage match with Bron Breaker for the NXT Championship and Shawn decided to change the rules so you couldn't escape the cage. <laughs> Which for a, a guy like me, a sneaky, a sneaky bastard, that would have been the easiest way for me to win. So I was a little bit upset at Sean. And, you know, uh, I, I think Sean always kind of saw me as like a version of him, like a younger version of him in the way that I was very brash, very confident, would say whatever I thought and didn't really care if I got in trouble. So I think that's when people started paying attention. And then obviously Johnny Gargano coming back to NXT kind of opened some people's eyes um, uh, as well. And people started to pay attention. Yeah. Going back to what you said before about you know, when you're coming up through the ranks of the indies and wrestling not necessarily feeling like a job, it was just fun. Does that all change when you get the call up, you're going to make your SmackDown debut? Oh, and by the way, you're going to be interviewing AJ Styles. Is there a part of you that's like, okay, this really is a job now. I need to deliver. So that one, no. And and then there's a reason for that. Like, And I think it's something they're doing a lot more with NXT. I'd been in the ring with AJ Styles. He was the first main roster guy to come down to NXT when they started kind of doing that. And I think it's a great idea they're doing it because it gets these up-and-coming talent the opportunity to get in with main roster people and feel comfortable. So I got in the ring with AJ Styles. I, I fought AJ Styles on NXT television and, and I didn't win, but I held my own. So then when I came up and they kind of gave me the opportunity to interview him as the first guest on the Grayson Waterfeck, I've been there. I've stood across from you. 
Last time you slapped me in the face. So this is this is a little bit easier. Now I'm just talking. So I felt completely comfortable. And and a lot of the big opportunities I have had on SmackDown, I've felt comfortable going into it just because I've been there. I had the opportunity in NXT to work with main roster talent. I was in there doing my talk show with Shawn Michaels. And now I'm doing it with these other guys. I've already been here. I feel comfortable. Obviously, I know how big an opportunity it is. I understand the weight. I understand the big name they have. But I never want to go in the ring and think someone's better than me or think someone's bigger than me because then I'm going to act differently. I'm going to wrestle differently. I'm going to talk differently. Like one of my coaches, Fit, gave me some great advice about act like you're on the same level as these guys. Like don't be looking up to them. Don't be, they're not your hero. And ever since I started adapting that more, like it took away the stress, if that makes sense. Did you really get to put that in practice with, say, Cena at Money in the Bank? 100% because I've talked to so many people. Cena puts fear in people and there's a reason. You've seen what he can do on the microphone, you know? We think back, that stuff with Austin Theory. Cena put it on him and he's done that to people before. He put it on Roman. So I went in fully expecting that. But I had thought about that moment since I debuted in WWE. I'd always thought, if John Cena was across from me, what would I say? What would I do? So when I got in there with him, I'd already felt the feelings. I'd already been in this position. Like I wasn't worried about 25,000 stupid British people calling me a wanker. Like that didn't stress me out because I guess I use visualization a lot. I've been in this position and and I was never going to back down. I was going to go up to Cena and go one-on-one with him. I wanted to kind of show what I could do. And I think I did that because I think sometimes people get in the ring and you can see straight away. You can see it on their face. You might not see it as a fan. But me as a wrestler, I can see if someone's not in the moment or if it's too big for them. And I think the other people can do that too. So for me, I was like, this is where I should be. This is the opportunity I was waiting for and I'm going to take it and run with it. Were there words backstage with Cena after? Like, yes, but it's not necessarily what people would expect. Like, I'm not someone, I'm not running around for advice. I don't want your advice. Like, I learned being out there against him. You know, that's where I learn. I'm not going to sit under the learning tree and all those type of things. I'd rather learn out there and then I go backstage. I go to my locker room and I, I keep to myself. Like, I'm not worried about these guys being a hero, you know. Yeah, I watched him when I was young and I was a big fan. I'm not a fan no more. Like, I want your spot. I want what you have. I want everything you have. And I think if you go in with the mentality where these guys are your heroes and stuff, you, you're you not going to get anything do you think the veterans backstage see that? You know, do they think you're a little brat or do they respect that because, you know, that was them 10, 15, 20 years ago? I think it can go both ways, but I think a lot of them, as you said, kind of have been in the same position. You know, John Cena was the young, brash upstart 20 years ago, however long it was. He has been there and he, you can watch what he did. He never backed down. He says some wild stuff about people when he was in his raps and stuff. Didn't matter if it was Taker or Brock. He went out and and he was himself and he took his opportunities. He stole them. He wasn't given anything. And I think they can at least respect that and understand what I'm doing. It doesn't mean that uh, we're not going to get along. It doesn't mean that like we hate each other or whatever it is. It just means professionally we're both chasing the same goal and I think that's okay. Yeah, it's really cool. I saw this interview you did recently where, you know, like a lot of Australian wrestling fans, you grew up going to a lot of the house shows WWE did throughout the country. Um, I think there was one time in 2004 where we got like one of the John Cena, Booker T, best of five US title runs. That was like, that was like our WrestleMania because that was probably one of the only matches that we got to see that mattered to the main WWE storyline. But here we are now 20 years on talking about Australia hosting the Elimination Chamber, the big event before WrestleMania, 
I mean, what does that mean for you, not only as a fan of wrestling, but someone who's actually going to be on the show? Yeah, as a fan, obviously, it's cool. Like, I, my mum took me to wrestling basically as soon as it came out. I remember the first one I went to was, uh, it was she always talks about it, it was Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. She always talks about how old Rick looked, but he was still doing all these crazy things, which is funny because that was like <laughs> 20 years ago. He talking about how old Rick was, and I'm yeah. like, okay, she's. Um, but I went to all those shows and got to experience that as a fan, and it was always cool. And always thought, oh, imagine if they did a big show here. Oh, imagine, imagine, imagine. And then I went to Super Showdown in, in 2019, 2018, sorry. And that was really cool getting in the MCG. And like I was a wrestler at the time going, wow, imagine performing in front of these many people. This is so cool. And now it's actually going to happen. So it, it, it means a lot. And especially for my friends and family that are coming, they've seen my journey. They saw me at you know seven years old being obsessed with wrestling. They seen, saw me like I was the only one who didn't grow out of it. All the other mates grew out of it and they'd always laughed at me. And when I told them I'm going to be a wrestler, they was like, yeah, sure you are. And then they saw me start wrestling. And like I was talking to one of my close mates last night and he came to one of my first matches in a shed in Newcastle in front of 25 people. And we kind of laughed about it. It's like, this is a bit of a different experience. So for me personally, this is, this is, this is wild. It's very surreal. Well, yeah, the big question then is, how the hell do you get booed? Because as you said, you've got so many friends and family here cheering you on. You're coming to your home country. It's going to be a bit of a challenge to get booed, my friend. So here's the thing. like, I, I never go out and, and, and want to get booed. Like, I'm not going out to get booed. I'm going out and I'm going to tell you how I feel. So if I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, I hate that place. I have no respect for those people or anything about that place. So I'm going to tell them that. And if they don't like it, they're going to boo. I'm not going to be a fake wrestler coming out in Perth and going, I hate Australia. I'm glad I moved. That's not real. I'm going to tell you the truth. I love this country. I represent this country. I represent wrestling in this country. And it doesn't matter if it's Perth, Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney. I'm here for Australian wrestling. Now, if they still want to boo me, hey, be my guest. I don't mind. I'm going to smile. I'm going to enjoy it. But I'm wrestling for them. And that doesn't happen very often. Very very rarely do I wrestle for an audience. I couldn't care less about that audience. You know, I'm not LA Knight. I'm not, I don't want that crowd to chant my name or anything like that. But in this country, I'm, I'm going to be real. I'm, I'm, I'm performing for that crowd. Yeah. I want them to have a good time. I want them to, I want them to enjoy it. And, and this is a one-off. <laughs> what are the immediate goals for you? Because we talk about this rise in Australia, not only yourself, but we've got Rhea Ripley, who's arguably the biggest name in the women's division in pro wrestling right now. We've got Bronson Reed. It feels like Australia is better represented now than it ever has been before. You know, I have personal goals, obviously selfish goals, and that, that I'm, I'm not here to be another guy. I don't want to be a name on a roster. I don't want to be able to just go put WWE Superstar on my Instagram bio and feel good about myself. Like, I'm here to be the best. I'm here to test myself. Like, I'm never happy with my position. I'm never happy with where I am. I'm in the main event of a show. I should be in the main event of every show. Like, that's kind of my mentality, and I think that's what you need to get better, and I want to be the best. I want when people think of wrestling in Australia, I want them to think of me. When I think, I want them to think of wrestling worldwide, I want to think my name. And that's a big lofty goal, but I've, I've kind of knocked over every goal that I've ever had. You know, I keep chasing it. So for the next 12, 24 months, I just don't want to stop. Like, this is, this is my time and I'm, I'm going to take over. Then there's also the goal, I want to start opening more doors for Australian wrestlers. Like, I think re- there was obviously some wrestlers who came through first. The Iconics, Buddy Murphy, Emma were the first ones. But I think Rhea knocked that door down between Australia and, and, and the US. Like, she, she slaughtered it. She's one of the biggest stars in the entire company and she's opening more doors for people to come in and I want to do the same. I want I know how talented Australian wrestling are. Sam Osborne, your mate, like if he was in the WWE now, he would be in such a prominent position. He could go to NXT and next week he could be the biggest star in that entire brand because that's how good he is. But the right eyes haven't seen him yet and it's so frustrating. Mm. 
And I go to PWA training last night and I see all these guys and girls and they're so good. And I watch American independent shows and they're absolutely terrible. Like it's embarrassing that some of them even call themselves wrestlers. So it's frustrating to me that people aren't seeing the talent that's here, but they're going to. And I know in Perth, there's the Australian Wrestling Super Show the day before. I'm going to go to that and watch. Like, I, I just want more eyes to be on this country and on talent in this country. And then I want people to start disappearing because I know there's more young, hungry guys underneath who are going to take those positions. So I think once more people start getting in, in big positions, it's going to make more people in Australia want to wrestle. I know we're looking at athletes now too. We were talking about rugby league players today at the Panthers. Like, I think we can start poaching athletes too because Australians have such big personalities. They're such good athletes. I think they can slot into a W system so easy. Are the raps that yourself and Rhea Ripley getting helping that cause? I mean, you mentioned, you know, wrestling at Dural Country Club. The right eyes might just not have been on you. But now we've seen the success that Australian wrestlers can have in WWE is that helping them go, okay, you know what? Maybe we do need to look over there. Yeah, and, and I, I keep up to date with the Australian wrestling scene. Like, uh, I, I'm watching it constantly because I want to I want to know who's good. I want to know who's working hard. I want to know who, if they were given an opportunity, would take it. So I've talked to the right people about the right people, and, and I think that's that helps them out because sometimes, you know, if you're looking for people all over the globe, it's hard for them to know, oh, in Australia, who's, who, who should we look at in Australia? But they can come to me. They know I'm, I've got my finger on the pulse. I'm going to give them some names that they can look up. It makes their job easier. So um, I think before you kind of know it, there might be some more Aussies coming over. That's awesome. Grayson, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. And welcome back to Australia. Enjoy your three and a half hours back home, dude. I can't wait. i got to find a Bunnings. I need a sausage sandwich and then I'm ready to go. Thanks again, man. We'll see you at Perth in the Chamber. Legend. Thanks, mate. All right. It is my pleasure to now welcome to the Plug Podcast. Hold for applause. L.A. Knight. Here we are. It's you and me. Me and you. And uh, we're going to discuss matters of the world. Yeah. Well, welcome to Australia, my friend. You mentioned right before we hit record that you have been in Australia for all of 24 hours. How is the jet lag? Uh, awful. Uh, I, right now, if I could close my eyes right now, I would. Um, it's, uh, I don't know when to sleep. Uh, I don't know when to, uh, crap or wind my watch at this point. So it's, uh, it, it's a weird day and I'm, I'm running completely solely on coffee. Well, sleep deprivation aside, it is so good to have you in Sydney. And I know we're here at the start of 2024, but I think we need to start with 2023 because last year had to be the year of LA night. In the last decade, there are certain superstars who have kind of owned these particular years. You think of CM Punk, you think of Daniel Bryant, Kofi Kingston. 2023 had to be the year of LA Knight. I mean, we'll get into it shortly, but given how your 2022 was, is it shocking to you how quickly you managed to turn things around in 2023? Hell no. Uh, and it, I mean, especially not at that rate. Now, the second that I knew that there was an opportunity to bring LA Knight to SmackDown... I knew things would change. I didn't know things would change at such a rapid pace and such a, I guess, meteoric rise, as people like to say. Um, so in that regard, yes and no. Uh, but I tell you what, I, I've built a hell of a foundation uh, in a very short amount of time, and now we start to build, uh, you know, I, I guess the, uh, the, the pyramids, if you will, for LA Knight. Yeah, just to rewind a few years ago, and I saw the podcast you did with Chris Van Vliet And it was really interesting to hear you talk about how even when you're at Impact, at the top of Impact, you knew that you wanted to get back to WWE one way or another. 
Looking back at that now, do you know why the goal was always to get back to WWE? Well, that was from the day that I left, and I left in 2014, uh, you know, amidst some some backstage controversy, uh, and so they had made the overture uh, to bring me back in 2016, but just the the money wasn't right compared to what Impact was paying me at the time. But I also knew that you know the, the ceiling is much higher at WWE, but. Uh, I had struggled and been broke for so long for those first 10 years of my career that I needed to take the good money for at least a few years and build myself uh, uh, at least some sort of a nest egg or, 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 or a base of some sort to where I could feel comfortable taking the pay cut and then making that bet on myself. So um, I, I knew I wanted to go back there because it's the only place to be if you want to be the best in this game and you really want to uh, shine and do it on the biggest stage. You got to do it in WWE. Um and so for me, it was just a matter of finding the right opportunity, the right timing, and the right window to just walk back in. So that opportunity to go back to WWE comes, you go to NXT, you do what you did there, then you get the main roster call up, and you hear the pitch of Max Dupree. Man, I hope to never hear that name again. <laughs> so let's just go through the how, the what, the when, the why. When that character is pitched to you, what are your thoughts? Uh, the, my thoughts are, this has got to be a rib. This has got to be a joke. This is silly. This is stupid. Uh, but at the same time, once I once it was a fleshed out, you know, fully committed idea, it was just like, all right, well, screw it. You know what? There, there's there's a you get a raise when you move to the main roster. So in that regard, I'm like, well, you know what? I mean, you know what? I'll, I'll at least uh, you know see what I can do with this. Uh, but it was it was miserable from day one in that regard. Um, I felt like it was creatively stifling. At the same time, it was also creatively challenging in a weird way, which I don't mind. A lot of times you need to be uh, uncomfortable in a certain way um, to kind of progress. But at the same time, that was just not for me. It was not me. It, I didn't know who or what the hell that was. Uh, and so for me, uh, getting the opportunity to bring LA Knight to SmackDown was an opportunity for me to be back in my zone and be more, more of just me. Going back to what we were saying about you being an impact and having the goal to come to WWE, now that you're lumped with this character, is there a thought process of, well, I'm screwed? Yeah. As long as I'm in WWE, I will be Max Dupree. But you mentioned there you also love challenges. Was there a challenge of, how do I get out of this? How do I get this character over? How do I not hate my life? Uh, all that, because I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there just, you know, you, you watch you watch some of the other products out there and the different companies and whatnot, and I'm looking at some of the freedom that, that, that the people have, and, and they're just, I'm looking at guys that I know that I'm, I'm, I can definitely spar with or, or even maybe be above and beyond, and I'm like, man, these guys are shining, and I'm stuck doing this. Um, but at the end of the day, I've also got to look at it and be like, hey, man, I, I got a job to do. And it's not my sandbox. But here's the thing. Once I had the opportunity to... Because in that, in that scenario, I didn't have a chance to really shape anything. Everything was kind of, here's what you're going to do. Here's what it is. Blah, 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 blah. And as things started to progress and change, and again, LA Knight was brought back into the fold, uh, that's when I had a chance to have more of a... Um, more of an ability to shape my own reality. Um and I was given more freedom because, again, I know who and what LA Knight is because it's 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 an extension of me. Whereas 
what the hell was Max? I don't know. So in that regard, uh, it was very limiting. It was very frustrating. Uh, and so I just needed that chance to kind of take the reins and uh, go on and do my own thing. So we know how you felt about being pitched the character, but fast forward to when you get told, hey, guess what? We want to bring LA Knight back. Is there a sense of like, this is a new lease on life? Are you still a little bit skeptical given what happened when you got called to the main roster? No, no, there's no, there's no time for skepticism at that point. At that point, um, I already know that I'm being given some level of an opportunity. I know they're not going to give me the opportunity that I want because I don't think that there's a lot of um, demand or trust or, but I'm also used to so long being in this business, being kind of undervalued and being kind of valued in the sense of like, ah, he's going to be like fine to go work a program with a guy and he can talk and he can wrestle, whatever. But like, we're not really going to like give him the ball. And so for me, I I knew that it was probably going to be something like that again. And I know that they're probably looking at that age number and being like, all right, well, let's just see what we can get out of him for a few years. And for me, my whole thing was, I'm going to buck that whole thing and mess everything up and turn this whole thing on its ear because if you give me only 30 seconds to make an impression or two minutes to make an impression or one minute, however long that window is for me to make an impression, I'm going to make the biggest damn noise that I can and that's exactly what I do, what I did, especially when you consider the Bray Wyatt build up to the, to the pitch black match and then everything that went on beyond that. Just going back to that Chris Van Vliet interview, and it was interesting you said that you emailed a writer saying, at some point I'm going to ask for the ball. And they kind of gave you a response back being like, yeah, sure. Maybe not taking you seriously. Fast forward now and again talking about what happened in 2023. Is there a party that was like, you should have taken me seriously? No, only because they don't, they don't know me from a hole in the wall. So like as far as they know, that, that, that's, that's, I don't think that there was a lot of communication or connection between the main roster and NXT. So whatever I did from NXT in a strange way, really, I don't think mattered coming up at that point in time. So they knew what was in front of them. They knew what was crafted by, uh, by the creative team or whatever, or, or Vince or whomever. And so in that regard, all they knew was what they were given. And so I don't think that they really like studied anything that I'd done before, or had any real familiarity with it. And aside from that, I didn't have a big name or notoriety coming in, at least to the general audience. I would say the vast majority of the SmackDown audience the first time they saw me on SmackDown was the first time they saw me. So in that regard, I would imagine that I, I can't really hold a grudge against the writers because at that point it's just, well, you know, we got this guy. Yeah, he, he looks okay, whatever. Hey, he's a little bit older, you know. But at that point, it's on me to go in there and fulfill the exact thing that I said, which is at some point I'm going to want the ball. You might not want to give it to me, but at some point I'm going to snatch it from you. I'm going to make you give it to me. You said earlier there's no time for skepticism or even cynicism in this game, but is there not a little part of you that's kind of like... Oh, there is time for cynicism, but I'm saying at that time that you're talking about particularly, I didn't... The last thing I was thinking was being cynical. The first thing I was thinking was now I'm on a mission to prove that this was wrong. And now I am going to go so far in the opposite direction of writing this wrong that I'm just going to make people forget that that even happened. When that rapid rise started in 2023 and you're coming out to these enormous pops, arguably the biggest pops of anyone on any of the WWE shows, 
when you go backstage, you kind of just like, I fucking told you. Uh, I'll tell you one one time that that happened for sure. Uh, WrestleMania, the, the the SmackDown before WrestleMania, I just found out like two days before that that I was not going to be on the WrestleMania show. I had flown my family out there. I'd spent money to get everybody to come out there because I was told I was going to be in WrestleMania. And I guess at the last minute, for one reason or another, it was scrapped. And so um, I did the... And Andre the Giant Battle Royal and SmackDown got enormous reactions. I didn't even get to have my entrance that night, which was a big letdown because we're in L.A. I wanted that music to hit, get that pop. But I'm out there. The crowd's on my side so solidly. But I'm so just angry that I spent all the... And, you know, I mean, look, everything's not always going to go your way. But I'm feeling so vindicated by what's happening out there at that time. And little did I know how big it was going to get. But at that point in time, it was at such a fever pitch. I was just like, oh, this is crazy, but I was so happy about it. But when I got to the back, how, how freely can I speak? Can I swear here? Of course you can. Okay. So um, I, I get to the back, and one of the production guys comes up, and he's like, man, you are super over out there. And I'm, that set me off for some reason because I'm thinking – I'm getting these kind of reactions. We're in LA and I, I'm not on WrestleMania. So the second he said that to me, again, I came back feeling vindicated, but I'm pissed off. And so now he go, he says that and I go, you better fucking tell somebody. And I just walked off and I just was pacing like a tiger in a cage, like in this hallway where there was nobody because I'm just, I'm, it's such a crazy whirlwind of emotions that don't make sense because I'm so happy about what happened, yet so pissed off at what's going to happen, but so vindicated and justified that I should be a part of it because of what... So there's all this stuff going where I'm just pissed off, but I'm happy, and I'm like shoving up your ass and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that's one time definitively where that happened. I, I, I don't know beyond that because at that point... Um, I think there was still resistance to it where it was just like, ah, we don't know. This could be a fluke. This could be this, that, whatever. But once you're getting further into the spring and further into the summer, and then we go to Saudi Arabia and I'm not even on the show and the people are chanting my name right at triple H at that point, you can't deny it anymore. And, and I understand I'm, I'm not, I'm not faulting the company or creator, any of that stuff, because you never know. Some of this stuff can blow up and then all of a sudden it's just, oh, okay, that was a thing for a couple of weeks or whatever. But for me, it was an, a need, an undying need to make it sure that that was not just a here and gone kind of thing because I'm not a here and gone guy. I have a strong foundation doing this for a good long time. And so for me, make myself undeniable. And that's exactly what I did. Do you think that interaction backstage went a long way to show the WWE higher ups that they might be dropping the ball with you? No, because who I was talking to was somewhat inconsequential in that regard. That was just me blowing off steam. Yeah. Uh, it was just my initial immediate reaction to what he was saying, which he was trying to be nice to me and putting it over. But at the same time, I'm just like, I'm like, well, then where's everybody else on this? Yeah. Like, has nobody else listening? Is nobody else watching? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was just some of that where it was maybe impatience on my part. Um, uh, but also, yeah, just feeling like, are people not are they not watching um but yeah no i mean that had that had no bearing on anything if anything i probably would have gotten me in trouble for like you know yelling at something but i wasn't yelling at him i was kind of just yelling into the sky at a cloud or something but what a difference a year makes because in that time you know you've tagged with john cena you wrestle roman reigns in saudi arabia you're in this fatal four-way at the royal rumble Considering where I was only a year ago, hell yeah, that, that, that's completely crazy, unheard of. 
Um, and, and that's where I, I you know, I, I said fastest rising star in SmackDown history. And I mean that because I don't think there's anybody with less of a rocket strapped to them who has made a rise like this. Uh, nobody strapped a rocket to me. I built my own damn rocket and, and shot that thing into the sky. It crashed and burned a couple times, but here we are now and I'm headed to the damn moon. So at this point, I, that, that, that moon is going to Royal Rumble and coming out with the WWE Championship and then coming into Perth, coming into Elimination Chamber as the WWE Champion. And then heading into the Elimination Chamber, who knows who it could be? There are rumors of The Rock coming. LA Knight versus The Rock at the Chamber. It's got a good ring to it. Well, if he wants to come on in, and uh, once I do come out with that WWE Championship, he can step right up if he wants to. Well, there you go, Rock. Challenge is on the table. Hey, look, LA, before you go, I did want to ask you this question because I don't think there's anyone better place to answer it. There's been a lot of discourse online, particularly in the last few months. You know, we talk about WWE, we've got AEW, TNA is now back. For a man who's been around the block and is now at the top of his game in WWE, does the tribalism make any sense to you? Because from a, a fan of pro wrestling, how is this anything but good for not only fans, but for the wrestlers as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's great at the same time. I'm like, what, what's what's... I guess it's happening with everything. It's happening with politics. It's happening with wrestling. Anything you can think of, even, I guess, uh, you know, issues between the sexes. This super tribalism where it's just like, can you just not appreciate everything that's happening? Enjoy the wrestling. Enjoy what's happening. Maybe, maybe you're a solid WWE guy. Maybe you're a solid AEW guy. Okay, cool. Do you have to wish death to the other company or whatever? You know, like that, that's crazy to me. But at the same time, yeah, you're talking about a crazy boom period right now where uh, wrestling and WWE in particular, hotter than it's been in a long time. And the craziest damn part about that to me is I'm at the top of the heap in that whole thing, which again, from a year ago, considering that, uh, that is absolutely wild. Well, LA night elimination chamber, Optus stadium in Perth, Saturday, February 24. What's in store for us? For Elimination Chamber? I don't know, because I don't know. I got to get through uh, Royal Rumble first. So for me, it's getting through Royal Rumble, coming out with the WWE Championship, and then we'll see what happens at Elimination Chamber. All I can guarantee you is I will be here. I will be in Perth. I will be at Elimination Chamber, and you can bet it's going to be a damn good show, and it's the road to WrestleMania, and you're going to see history. You're going to see the one. You're going to see the only LA Knight. Yeah. That's how you end a podcast. LA Knight, thanks so much for coming on, man. Hell yeah. Thanks for having me. To watch full episodes of The Plug Podcast, head over to the official YouTube page at theplug.podcast and hit the subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the video content. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at theplug.podcast for all episode announcers, teasers, and giveaways.